And we're live here on YouTube. Welcome in. We're starting here in three, two, one. Right here. What's up, Whisper Nation, and welcome in to the Week 12 Matchup Preview Show, where we go through every single matchup in the Week 12 slate and go through every single fantasy-relevant player in those matchups. We've got a, a little bit different of a show this time. We typically go through every single player, team by team, but we're going to go through some of the higher-level narratives in each matchup. And just remind you, too, about the Baltimore at Pittsburgh game. As of right now, as of this recording, has been moved to Tuesday. So make sure you check out our video over on YouTube and get all the things that you need as far as your start-sit questions within that matchup. We broke that down earlier, thinking it would be on Thanksgiving. I am your host, Big Travi. You can find me on Twitter at BigTraviTFW. I am joined by Johnny GameTime Hicks, who you can find on Twitter at Johnny underscore GameTime. Johnny, how was your Thanksgiving, my man? It was very, very enjoyable. I had some of the best turkey ever, smoked turkey, so it was different as well. So, uh, it, But it was, it was great. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I hope Whisper Nation had a great Thanksgiving. Johnny likes his turkey smoked. He also likes to get smoked in fantasy football. So two, nah. two things that go to bed. Also on the mic, we have Austin Sear, ARC. You can find him on Twitter at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. Austin, how was your Thanksgiving, my man? It was one of those Thanksgivings where I didn't know how it was going to be coming into the holiday. But now that it's been completed, looking back on it, I really wish I could just replay that entire day like two more times. Yeah, well, I just want you both to know that I'm very thankful for you, and I'm thankful for Whisper Nation, and I hope uh, they all get the W's that they need uh, this week. And that's why we're going to start off with the Buffalo uh, Bills hosting the Los Angeles Chargers. This is a 54-point over and under. It's uh, We've got Buffalo favored by 5.5 at home here. We're going to start with the Chargers side of the ball. And, Johnny, like when we look at the Chargers, it's really about Justin Herbert. It starts and ends there. Yeah, Justin Herbert's been sensational this year. He could get the rookie of the year now uh, that you know Joe Burrow is is done for the season. And you're looking at what this guy, it, where he's at right now, and considering he didn't even start the season as a starting quarterback, he is 8th in passing attempts, 6th in passing yards, and 12th in passing touchdowns. That indicates to me, one, that he's he's doing a very good job when he's in there. He's, he's getting the key plays that you want, the passing attempts and the yards, but the touchdowns have not yet uh, quite uh, equaled out to that. So I, I do think that there's some potential for some positive regression over the last half of the season uh, that fantasy owners might really be excited about. And then you look at this matchup, Buffalo giving up the fifth most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks, and they're also giving up the 14th most in explosive plays. So I think Justin Herbert is a great start this week. You know, and Austin, a lot of Herbert's success is because we we need to attribute to the supporting cast, right? He's got so many great weapons, and I think one of the the members of that crew that is most intriguing to you has been Mike Williams. Mike Williams is the underrated wide receiver. Keenan Allen needs to be said of what a target monster this man really has been. Number nine in standard, number three in PPR, and number 10 on the season in yards per route run at 2.26. But Mike Williams is more of the available wide receiver. He's the guy who's had more boom or bust performances throughout the season. But as of late, he's been looking consistent, and he might be a low-key snag for you if you can pick him up. 
Uh, Mike Williams is a down the field threat option, and you can tell that through his deep target percentage at 39.2. He is an elite down the field wide receiver. Um, Justin Herbert throws the ball down the field really well. It's just he's the number two wide receiver behind Keenan Allen, um, but currently sitting at the number 23 overall uh, wide receiver, averaging 8.3 points per game. And I think Mike Williams's performances are going to continue to improve given that he's healthy and that he's building a deeper rapport with Justin Herbert. Mike Williams is capable of doing a lot more than just going down the field as well. I think Mike Williams could end up being somebody who wins you a couple playoff games here and there if you're lucky enough to have him on your roster. I like that take. Uh, anything you want to add here on Hunter Henry, Austin? I mean, he's just kind of been that under-the-radar guy, but still getting great peripheral numbers. Hunter Henry is like the king of the on the field all the time wide receivers who are, excuse me, tight ends who just hasn't made the most of it. I mean, he's a number eight tight end overall on the season, yet he's uh, broken double digits. Actually, no, is where where the tight ends stack up this season. You could go a whole lot worse than Hunter Henry and people right behind Hunter Henry are going to be close in production. Most of the tight ends unless you're Travis Kelsey have been sandwiched real tight together. But Hunter Henry is near the top of that other tier there. And in the last couple of weeks, he's looked pretty good as he's pulled down a touchdown in both of those weeks. But you're going to need a touchdown for him to really pop off. He hasn't broken uh, 51 yards since week two. Um, and any of the games here where he has had double-digit fantasy performances have come with the aid of a touchdown. So he's on the field like 90-plus percent all the time. He's getting you five, six, seven targets a game most of the time. He still does need to look like a touchdown has to come his way for it to really be worth it. Um, but you can there, there really isn't anybody you can go better with at the tight end position unless you got Travis Kelsey. I want to talk a little bit about the running backs here, guys. You know, Austin Eckler maybe on the cusp of coming back. As of today, Coach Anthony Lynn said Eckler has a chance to play and be activated here. So we'll just see how that shakes out. Look, I think if Eckler goes, you're obviously starting him. In two games with Herbert, prior to the injury, he had 43 total touches in those games. He had over 140 yards from scrimmage in each of those games. And he had over 18 PPR fantasy points in both of those games. So obviously Eckler uh, gets in there. But we've got to talk a little bit about Kalen Balazs. Should Eckler Eckler not go because he's averaged 21 touches over his last three. He's averaged 85 scrimmage yards over his last three games as well. And this matchup against Buffalo, regardless of who's the running back, is a top 12 matchup. Buffalo is giving up 19.3 points per game to running backs. And they've, the Bills have surrendered the six most rushing yards this season. On average, they're giving up about 140 yards from scrimmage to running back. So you love to see that, especially if you're the Austin Eckler GM, you've waited this long. It would be a perfect matchup for him to come back into, uh, given that. I would say this, if Eckler goes, I'm not comfortable starting Balazs. I think uh, his days as a, as a guy that was on your radar could be over. Yeah, and going on that point, Travi, Kalen Balaj, while he has come in since week nine and looked really, really good, making us question some of the reputation marks that have been given to Kalen Balaj playing behind Adam Gase for those years. But after that impressive start where he had 15 touches, 69 yards, picked up a touchdown on a 4.6 yards per carry clip week nine against the Raiders, he has gone down from an efficiency standpoint every week that he's been involved and he's had a lot of opportunities. 15 touches, 18 touches, 16 touches on the ground last three weeks, where his yards per carry have gone from 4.6, 3.8, 2.8. And what Balaj has been doing surprisingly uh, really well is involved in the passing game where his targets have been 3, 6, and 9 from the backfield uh, position. But Austin Eckler, you would expect to eat into those halfback targets tremendously if he comes in. And Balaj, like you said, um, 
temper expectations. He might be who we thought he was. Uh, we're trying to figure out who the running backs are for Buffalo, Johnny, and if we can start any of them. Uh, I wouldn't start any of these guys with confidence. I actually think Devin Singletary is droppable. Uh, L.A. Chargers defense only giving up an average of 19.1 fantasy points per game. Then you look at what Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are doing. Uh, they're straight up splitting this. You know, snap shares are actually in the favor of Zach Moss now. He's getting a little bit over 50% snap share in three straight games. But their touches are still equal, um, pretty much down the middle. They're seeing about 11 touches each per game. But the difference is Zach Moss is getting those money ones, the goal line, or they're going to Josh Allen. So uh, I don't feel confident in starting either one of these guys. If I had to, I would roll with Zach Moss. But he's more of an RB3 with RB2 upside if he can see the end zone. I wanted to speak a little on these wide receivers. We've got Stephon Diggs, who we know is the man there. He's got 10 or more targets in four of his last six games. He's been the wide receiver six in standard, wide receiver five in PPR, and he hasn't dipped below 10 PPR points all season. So we know what we're getting there. You're obviously starting Diggs. I wanted to speak on Beasley because now, as of uh, to three hours ago in this recording, John Brown's been ruled out for the Chargers game, which vaults Cole Beasley into a startable role here. We look at the last two games without John Brown on the field. He's had 20 targets, 15 catches, and nearly 160 receiving yards. Uh, that's Cole Beasley. This past week with Brown, I'm sorry, the week before the bye with Brown leaving early, Beasley garnered 13 targets. He caught 11 of them for 190, 109 yards and a touchdown. This isn't a daunting matchup. They're definitely, you know, the Chargers are a little good against the pass, but they're giving up 20.8 points per game to wide receivers. And I think this offense can get it done. And, and Austin, I think that's because Josh Allen has really shined this year. Josh Allen shined from multitude of fantasy football perspectives on the ground, through the air, short passes, deep passes. Josh Allen, to me, is maybe not necessarily the most advanced with all of his different ways he can get you, but he's got so many tools in his tool belt. You really have to be prepared for big quarterback runs, short runs, deep passes. The man, as the Bills put it, plays quarterback like a linebacker, and he's developed his game a couple of rungs above where it was last year. I'm looking back through Josh Allen's stats here, and he only has one game on the entire season that he hasn't collected double-digit touchdowns from. Now, he doesn't always get you in the same way. Like if you go back to um, – you go back the last couple of weeks, he might not have gotten you a passing touchdown, but he did pull down a rushing touchdown for you where he's got – a total of five of them on the year, but he usually is able to hit you with multiple passing touchdowns. There's only been two games this season where he hasn't had multiple passing touchdowns. And in one of those, he did collect a rushing touchdown. He can hit you with four passing touchdowns. Um, he can get you over 400 yards through the air. Um, he can really hit you in any different fashion. And yeah, sometimes he's going to have games like in week eight against new England, where he has only 154 yards passing, but he's able to collect you, um, you know, 10 rushing attempts, get you a touchdown on the ground, and you have to be prepared for him to hit you in so many different ways. I'm feeling very good about Josh Allen, his supporting cast of weapons, and the role that Buffalo likes to carve out for their quarterback. There's very few quarterbacks you could have better uh, at this point in the season and moving forward in the playoffs than Josh Allen. Number four overall quarterback, 24.89 points per game, 72.8 points the last two weeks and the chargers give up the seventh most amount of points to quarterbacks. So especially this week, I'm feeling really good about him. We're going to move on to our next game, which is the Indianapolis Colts hosting the Tennessee Titans. It's a 50.5 over under. We've got Indy favored by three and a half at home. 
Johnny, Tennessee's offense begins and ends and is, you know, the alpha and the omega of this offense is Derrick Henry. So t- speak a little bit on Derrick Henry. We're obviously not benching him. This is a tough matchup, though. It is a tough matchup, so we just want to say temper your expectations. It should be more of a Derrick Henry floor game. Uh, he's only had, or and then we can say, what does that look like? Well, he's only had less than 14 fantasy points only three times this year, and one of those games was against the Indianapolis Colts. But on the bright side, he did see in that game 19 touches for 103 yards. So uh, you, you can still see a, a, a good size game if he falls into the end zone. Uh, but once again, Indianapolis giving up the six fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs. Again, you're still starting Derrick Henry. Just temper your expectations. Yeah, and I think you can't start Ryan Tannehill um, anymore. He's had only 20 points in one of his last five games. He's only thrown for 300 yards. Uh, or he hasn't thrown for 300 yards in any of the last five, and he hasn't seen over 25 completions in that span. You look at the matchup, we talked about Indy. I mean, they're tough all the way through every level of the defense, but only two teams, you know, the Rams and the the Pittsburgh Steelers, are a worse matchup for quarterbacks. They're only allowing 14.4 points per game to quarterbacks. So, you know, you look at Indy, what they did to Tannehill a couple weeks ago, they gave him his his single worst outing uh, on the year with 10.78 fantasy points and most scoring. Um, so Tannehill, not a great option, but Austin, you think you got something here in Corey Davis and, and these pass catchers? You definitely do. And you mentioned a lot about Ryan Tannehill and the decline that he's had recently and the success of his wide receivers, especially, well, really both from AJ Brown and Corey Davis is going to come down to how much Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans actually end up throwing the ball. Corey Davis is the number 42 in standard, quietly the number seven wide receiver overall in yards per route run at 2.37, right ahead of Diggs and just behind DeAndre Hopkins. You just need to have him running more routes. Um, They're playing a tough pass defense this week in Indianapolis, who ranks as the sixth best pass defense. So you don't really love the opportunity there. For Corey Davis, um, you'd like to see him getting more opportunities as you would with A.J. Brown as well, who is the number 17 wide receiver on the season, despite missing a handful of games and number 12 wide receiver on the year in yards per route run at 2.22. A.J. Brown has been doing a good job. The part that's nearly criminal to me is his target distribution. The man has not gotten double digit targets all season long and in a season where we've seen some receivers spout off or 20 plus targets like if you're Cooper Cup or Tyler Lockett some of these crazy wide receivers this year AJ Brown is in that same category of talent um, but the most targets he's gotten all season long is nine targets in week five and nine and you can just imagine what AJ Brown's stat line could look like if you saw him getting 15 targets regularly just hasn't happened yet it probably won't happen this week um, but he is just a boss receiver and if you could get him more looks Ryan Tannehill you'd be making a lot of fantasy managers and I swear your fans happy as well yeah so we've got this revolving door between it looks like Corey Davis and Jonu Smith Anything you want to add here on Jonah Smith? I think we have to start him based on the way tight end is working. Um, and he just it seems to be very boomer bust like most tight ends. Here's the thing about Jonah Smith right now is he started off so hot and the rest of the tight end field minus Travis Kelsey has been pretty homogenized. They haven't broken out um, one tight end here or there and really separated themselves from the pack. And Jonah Smith is no exception. He currently is the number two overall tight end but since week five he's the averaging the eighth most amount of points 
So he's still holding on to that early lead that he had there in the beginning of the season. But his performances since week five now, you know, is kind of having him at the back end of that tight end one. So while his overall stats are more, his overall stats are pretty darn impressive, more impressive than his recent stats have been. And that to me would show a trend of kind of falling into the middle of the pack. Johnny, when we look at the Colts side of the ball, I wanted to start with you and, and kind of take us through the pass catchers, specifically Michael Pittman, who you have been a big fan of over the last couple of weeks and then going into this game as well. Yeah, unless his name is Michael Pittman, I don't want to start him, even though the matchup looks pretty nice on paper for all the wide receivers. Tennessee giving up the 11th most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers with just about 253 Uh, fantasy points per game on average but like you said Michael Pittman seems to be the golden guy the only guy in uh in Indianapolis that seems to be consistent he's got a 16.33 percent target market share since week nine which is the highest on the team he's got 223 receiving yards which is 80 yards above the next highest one which would be Zach Pascal on the team He's getting 41% of the total team's weighted average of the offense, which is a big significant part. And then you see who he's matched up against this week, Malcolm Butler, who is giving up 0.29 fantasy points per route ran. So I think you could stay in the flames once more with Michael Pittman. Or fade the rest of those pass catchers. And you might want to fade the tight ends, but I actually have a case here for Trey Burton. He's had four more targets in all but one game since return. In this tight end committee, he's had the most snap share, 46. That's his average uh, percent of snaps played. Tennessee has given up the ninth most points per game to the tight end position with 9.2. And they're surrendering 55 yards on average to tight ends. I actually think that Burton is the option. If, if you, And you're looking for a streamable tight end. I think this is a decent matchup to, to attack that and go with Burton. And they like to use him in the red zone, too. So just be mindful of that. They, they'll run him on rushes and stuff, too. But Austin, I think the the media storyline here is the running back position because we've seen it fluctuate so much. But Jonathan Taylor may have had his breakout game of the year last week. Yeah, it looks like Jonathan Taylor has reemerged himself as the back to start and roster moving forward for the Indianapolis Colts. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride, hasn't it, Travis? For Jonathan yeah. Taylor and those <laughs> <laughs> roster. Yeah. You start off the year with Marlon Mack still over there, but then picking up Jonathan Taylor um, with a lot of early draft capital there, expecting him to be the guy. But Marlon Mack is no slouch. He goes down early in the season, and everybody expects Jonathan Taylor, this highly touted rookie playing behind an elite offensive line, to just come out and have his way with the NFL. And he had a a nice week, too. But after that, we had 26 attempts for 101 yards and a touchdown, 3.9 yards per carry. The opportunities just started kind of tinking and dunking down, and um, he wasn't as exciting. And meanwhile, you had folks like Neam Hines had these really random, seemingly uh, pop-off games where he's collecting you close to or over 20 fantasy points that week. He did it that week one, uh, and then he did it again uh, in week 10 and collected uh, just under 20 in week eight against Detroit. Seems like a kind of common story against Detroit's rush defense. But anyways... Neam Hines came in as a hot ad after week one, but then his role looked more true to what they wanted it to be moving forward, where he wasn't getting a ton of work. He is their pass catching option. But now Jonathan Taylor is making a case for him being involved in the pass catching realm as well, where Jonathan Taylor last week had four targets, caught all four of them for 24 yards the week before. Two targets, two catches, two targets, two catches the week before that, and two targets, two target catches the week before that. I actually had to go back to week five 
where he has a dropped pass, three targets and just one reception. He's only dropped one pass all season long, Jonathan Taylor is. So he's looking like a better pass catching option from the halfback position. Neam Hines is still the man. Jordan Wilkins, though, is an afterthought. He had four touches last week, eight the week before that. I think that trend's going to continue going down. And Jonathan Taylor's 22 yard, 22 attempts last week for 90 yards, 4.1 yards per carry, 13.4 fantasy points last week is what I believe we're going to see more of moving forward. And especially this week going up against Tennessee, who gives the sixth most amount of points up to fantasy running backs, despite being the 17th ranked pass defense. Um, they've been letting up a lot of points. I think that continues this week. I feel really good about Jonathan Taylor this week, as well as moving forward. We're going to move forward now to the Minnesota Vikings hosting the Carolina Panthers. This is a 49.5 over under. We've got Minnesota favored by four and a half at home. And we look at the Carolina side of the ball. It looks like Teddy Bridgewater is going to get back. Johnny, is that enough, you know, him back on the field enough for you to stream him in this matchup? We've seen Minnesota been had through the air. I mean, even Andy Dalton had a great game against them last week. Yeah, it just looks to be a little bit more juicier on paper than actual. I don't know if you can actually trust in Teddy Bridgewater on this revenge game. Uh, I do think he is a safe play uh, with little upside. So if you just need a solid quarterback that's going to get you, you know, 20 fantasy points, uh, then I think Teddy Bridgewater is your guy. But he hasn't thrown for more than two touchdowns in a game this season. So there is some concern there. And if there's concern for Teddy Bridgewater, where does that leave us with the pass catchers, Austin? Yeah, it's an interesting one. This pass catching trio in Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, and DJ Moore has been one of the most interesting trios of wide receivers for me in the entire NFL. Pittsburgh's close, but Carolina takes the cake for me here because all three of their wide receivers are at least wide receiver twos, back end wide receiver twos. Curtis Samuel will be the third of the bunch. Clocks in as the 25 ranked wide receiver in both PPR and standard formats. And they get Curtis Samuel involved in a lot of different ways, short passes, deep passes, as well as in the backfield where he's had at least one rushing attempt every single game no more than four rushing attempts 2.6 on average per game just they get him involved in a lot of different ways the real conversation here though is between Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore you've got two good receivers there who I think are going to be pretty solid moving forward the rest of the year whether it's Teddy Bridgewater or PJ Walker their their XFL quarterback who came in last week and played really well and the issue here is going to be how accepting their quarterback is to throw it deep if anybody here in DJ Moore rosters have been wondering why hasn't DJ Moore had this larger breakout, that's the answer. Teddy Bridgewater does not like to throw the ball deep, despite him being an actual pretty good deep throw passer. Um, breaking it down here just a little bit, where you see DJ Moore is the number 10 overall standard wide receiver in 13 PPR versus Robbie Anderson, who's the 22 standard wide receiver in 14 PPR. So he jumps eight positional points, eight ranking points that Robbie Anderson does when we go to PPR as where DJ Moore falls back. Robbie Anderson has 95 targets compared to DJ Moore's 80 targets, despite DJ Moore collecting more fantasy points overall from both perspectives. DJ Moore does better work with the ball when he's got a shot. Robbie Anderson just catches more passes because Teddy Bridgewater likes to throw the ball a little bit shorter. When we look at Bridgewater's completion percentage in terms of deep passing, he's number 17 on deep attempts, which is you know below middle of the fold, but he's number six in deep completions, not completion percentage, number six overall in deep completions. So he completes the ball actually all the time, but he doesn't really try it that often. And DJ Moore 
does have something to do with the success Teddy Bridgewater has had throwing the ball deep, where he ranks number three in deep yards, 382. But DJ Moore is still number 16 in the league in deep attempts. So it's just like, man, let DJ Moore have a shot to go get it deep, and he's going to do good things for your fantasy team. And Caroline, he's going to do good things for your football team. And Teddy Bridgewater, if you're listening, he'll do good things for your quarterbacking stats at the end of the week too. Throw DJ ball, DJ Moore the ball just a little bit more. Make everybody in your life happy. Uh, fantasy GMs are going to want to be happy with Mike Davis, even though, you know, prior to last week where he kind of got back against Detroit, you know, he had 21 touches, uh, 79 total yards and a touchdown, 15 PPR fantasy points. Prior to that, he had had four straight games with 10 PPR fantasy points or fewer, uh, and he hadn't scored since week six. He was looking like a bad start even against Detroit last week, but he he got it done for you. This is a middle-of-the-road matchup against Minnesota. We're going to have CMC out again, obviously. Um, They haven't given up a ton of yards. Minnesota hasn't, but they've given up – or I'm sorry – They haven't given up a ton of uh, rushing touchdowns, only six, but they're allowing quite a bit of yards, 140 yards from scrimmage uh, to running backs per game. They're giving up 18.2 fancy points per game. I think you got to roll with Mike Davis, especially with the way the running landscape is, running back landscape is, and without CMC in there. Um, But just don't think that it's going to be a world-beater matchup or that he's a world-beater running back. He is a backup for a reason. On the other side of the ball, we have the Minnesota Vikings. And, Johnny, we know Kirk Cousins got the pipes. He can sing. But can he sing fantasy goodness to your roster this week? Uh, I mean, he's been on a bit of a hot streak here. He's been he's thrown 12 touchdowns in the last five games. He's only scored fewer than 20 fantasy points one time during that span. But I am not saying in the flames in this game, Carolina giving up the, thir- the 13th fewest fantasy points to two uh, opposing quarterbacks on average. So I will sit Kirk Cousins this week. Uh, Austin, when we look at uh, what's going on with Dalvin Cook, I mean, there's not much to say here, right? <laughs> the man's good at football. He's playing really, really well this year. Keep him in your roster. And then we got, we got to move on to those wide receivers because Johnny mentioned Kirk Cousins. Like, he he's the man here, and he, he's getting it done for them. But, like, that's behind all these wide receivers that he's got working here. I want to start with Justin Jefferson because we do have Adam Thielen maybe battling uh, the COVID situation and designation. So not sure if he's going to play. Let me just double check on that. But Justin Jefferson has been a tad boomer bust, but his busts, man, like when or his booms have been great. Like they've been elite. He's at four 100 yard games, 60 or more receiving yards in three straight games. Um, so I, for me, like especially if Adam Thielen doesn't go, you're smashing start on on Justin Jefferson. But um, Carolina looks like a tough matchup. You know, you're going to get that red or that orange when you're looking at your fantasy lineup because they're only giving up 19.3 points per game to wide receivers. But I really do uh, like Justin Jefferson, especially if Thielen doesn't go. If Thielen goes, like obviously an auto start, 11 receiving touchdowns. That's number one in the NFL. And he's the wide receiver four in standard and wide receiver eight in PPR. Our next game on the slate is the Jacksonville Jaguars hosting the Cleveland Browns. This is a 48 and a half point uh, over under. We've got Jacksonville or we've got Cleveland favored by six and a half. Austin, when we look at this matchup, uh, I wanted to start with you talking a little bit about Austin Hooper. If you think that Austin Hooper with the tight end landscape is still going to be under consideration in your lineup. You know, Austin Hooper is in consideration in the tight end landscape because he is another tight end who's involved in the field, but he's not Travis Kelsey. And that means you can really throw a dart at one of these other starting tight ends. And that's no cop out on this one. It's we'll break it down a little bit more, but you know, just to um, just to highlight a little bit of how much of a separation exists currently between 
Travis Kelsey in the field. We're looking at um, Travis Kelsey, 14.7 points per game um, since week five. And the next wide receiver after that, um, 8.5 points per game. It doesn't even matter who it is. It's Darren Waller. But after that, it's like 8.5, 8.3, 8.2. It's really close in terms of the points per game. And you jump up like a full touchdown to Travis Kelsey. So Austin Hooper is just another one of those tight ends that you can go ahead and take a shot on here. And he's not a bad one to take a shot on. He's going to be limited, though, by Cleveland's willingness to throw the ball, which they really don't have a ton of. The last two weeks, Austin Hooper's had seven targets compared to Njoku's one target, um, but only 44 combined yards. Um, He's tied with Landry during that stretch in terms of targets and one just behind Higgins. But Cleveland hasn't eclipsed 300 passing yards all season long. Now, I love the fact Austin Hooper's going against Jacksonville's defense, which clocks in as letting up the second most amount of fantasy points to the tight end position. That obviously looks nice. And Austin Hooper is looking like he's cleared up from that appendicitis surgery going on. But it's still the Cleveland Browns where they haven't thrown the ball for more than 300 yards. Um, And that is really what's ultimately going to be capping Austin Hooper's upside. But hey, you might get 40 yards and a touchdown, 10 point double digit performance. And that's about as much as you can hope for from any tight end, not Travis Kelsey. Johnny, we've talked at length how low volume this passing attack can be at times, but you really think that Rashard Higgins is worth a must start like this week? You really love him here? Absolutely. If you need a a waiver wire target to go and plug and play this week, Rashard Higgins is that guy. Uh, everything on that I look for for a breakout wide receiver for the week, uh, it lines up with Rashard Higgins. Jacksonville giving up the six most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers with 26.5. Rashard Higgins since OBJ going out, getting a 19% target market share. He's caught 13 of 17 targets, uh, which is very impressive in itself. But then you look at his A dot average depth of target is 15.71. That makes it even more impressive. And then you look at who he's facing this week. Chris Claybrooks, who is giving up one of the league's most in 0.41 fantasy points per route ran. So I expect them to let the air ball uh, air it out a little bit in this game. Last two games have been very bad weather games. So you kind of have to throw a lot of that, you know, uh, target market share and stuff out of the window because it's it's way different. Uh, It'll be sunny in this game. So I would start Richard Higgins 100 percent. The sun is shining on that running back core, too. We've got Nick Chubb back, Kareem Hunt. Uh, both these guys are doing really well. Like, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. You're starting both of these guys, and I think the question comes to Kareem Hunt. Like, can, can you continue to start him? But he's he's only failed to reach double-digit PPR fantasy points in three games this year. Um, he's actually averaging more touches when Nick Chubb's in the lineup, uh, crazily enough. Uh, that was kind of a weird dynamic there. And then Jacksonville has been the seventh-best matchup for enemy running backs. 20.5 fantasy points per game. Uh, Cleveland, nearly seven-point favorites. I think those running backs are going to eat in this game. On the Jacksonville uh, side of the ball, I want to start with James Robinson because it's probably going to start and end there as far as this team is concerned. Yeah. Uh, he has not dipped below double-digit PPR points in the last five weeks. He's averaging over 23 touches over his last four weeks. He averages over 110 scrimmage yards over the last month. Cleveland has been tough against running backs. They're number eight against running backs. Um, But this volume is elite. Like, you're starting James Robinson. He continues to be a guy I wish I just took more seriously at the start of this season. I did not think it was going to be something that uh, surfaced, and he's he's been around and stuck around. Can any of you two make a case for anybody else in this lineup? 
No, DJ Chark ruled out, so just note that. Get him out of your lineup. He's already ruled out, uh, but no. This feels like a scene in Game of Thrones where you just roll out a couple thousand of your men to get slaughtered. <laughs> oh, man. It's the Red Wedding for, for uh, Jacksonville. Mike Glennon hasn't started since 2017. My question on him is, we, are we going to get more touchdowns or interceptions out of Mike Glennon? Probably right. interception. That's, That's interception. Good prop bet. Yeah. All right. The Cincinnati Bengals in another barn burner are hosting the New York Giants. Uh, this is a 42 and a half point over under lowest over under on the week. Uh, we've got Giants favored by five and a half with the Joe Burrowless Bengals for the first time this year. We start on the New York Giants side of the ball. And Austin, I want to start with those wide receivers because they are really talented, but Daniel Jones is not and seems to be sinking their value each and every week. Yeah, it really does. you got three wide receivers in New York worth considering Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and Golden Tate. And I think they should be considered in that order, Shepard, Slayton, Tate, where in since week seven, the return of Sterling Shepard, we've seen Golden Tate just 10 targets total. Um, Darius Slayton, 20 targets in that same run compared uh, to 32 targets for Sterling Shepard. Not only has Sterling Shepard had the most targets come his way, he's been able to do the most with them, ranking 1.7 yards per route run. That's number 55 of of wide receivers. Compared to Darius Slayton's 1.62 yards per route run, 55, and Golden Tate, just worth mentioning, uh, clocks in at 87 for wide receivers at 1.32 in terms of yards per route run. Darius Slayton, we thought, was going to be more of that big play player. And he certainly got talent and can make some plays happen here and there, but it hasn't happened at a consistent enough rate to factor into his metrics. Sterling Shepard would be worthy of your consideration. He's the top one. Um, And then Darius Slayton. But like you said, until Daniel Jones gets a little bit better, Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard are going to be somewhat afterthoughts who your opponent's not going to be scared of. Hey, maybe they come in and sneak you up with 80 yards and a touchdown. I mean, give you a respectable fantasy day, but these aren't anybody to to really be taken as threats or to be too uh, scared of right now. I'm scared to start any pass catcher for the Giants, but I think the one I'm least scared about is actually Evan Ingram. Um, he's only the tight end 19 in standard, and that's depressing. That's the Daniel Jones factor, but he's had nine or more targets in three of his last four. He's going to get another pristine matchup against Cincinnati. Only Atlanta, Jacksonville, and Cleveland give up more points to the tight end position than Cincinnati. So I think you can start Evan Ingram with eh, confidence. Like, I don't know if it's like huge confidence, but like it's, it's definitely there. Uh, but I think you're confident in Wayne Gallman, Johnny. He's actually done some pretty good work. Yeah. He's had uh, a goal line. Uh, he's been the goal line back for four straight games. Now he's had a touchdown in each of those games. He's carried the ball 13 or more times uh, during that span. And he's seen 53% or more of snaps during that span as well. You've got Devonte Freeman still um, dealing with the ankle issue on IR. Um, and so Cincinnati giving up the 11th most fancy points to opposing running backs. I'm starting Wayne Gallman this week. As an RB2. I like it. On the Cincinnati side of the ball, is there any RB2 value in those in that backfield? Austin, we've got no Joe Burrow, and we've got the Giovanni Bernard and P. Ryan show going on. Right, so Giovanni Bernard, I know a lot of folks are getting pretty excited when the Joe Mixon news came out, as Giovanni Bernard has been a pretty consistent, decent staple for you in the fantasy world for a long time. And he started off well in that Week 8 performance against Tennessee, dropping 21.3 fantasy points. 15 rush attempts, 62 yards collected, 4.1 yards per carry and had a touchdown on that. He also caught three passes out of four targets for another touchdown there. You love to see that. 
Um, but that was about as good as it's gotten for Giovanni Bernard as the weeks have progressed, where we saw his last two performances declining efficiency, 3.8 yards per carry um, against Pittsburgh and then two yards per carry there against Washington um, on just nine rushing attempts. Giovanni Bernard has also had Samaje Pirine enter the field and his snap share has gone up the last two weeks from 26% snap percentage against Pittsburgh week 10 to 46% snap share last week against Washington. He hasn't been great or efficient on the ground, but it's just eating into Giovanni Bernard's rushing attempts. The saving grace, if there is one for Giovanni Bernard this week, is that he is still the pass-catching halfback. We saw five targets go his way for four receptions last week and seven targets, four receptions his way the week before that. And in a game where Brandon Allen is going to be quarterbacking for Cincinnati, is hit and miss as New York is, I would expect Cincinnati to be playing from behind, which would encourage the game flow to have Giovanni Bernard even more on the field. And a couple of extra passing attempts could go his way, but I would fade on this matchup if you could. Yeah, it's not looking much better in the passing attack either because obviously Brandon Allen in here for Joe Burrow. So I was trying to look at these wide receivers and make a case for any of them. I think the best matchup uh, and floor and shot at some points here is Tyler Boyd. He's going to face plenty of the slot corner for the Giants in, in Darnay Holmes, who's giving up 1.56 yards per route run. Um, so I'm really only trusting Tyler Boyd if I have to. Um, and then, you know, we loved what T. Higgins was doing. He was an auto start, but I just can't trust that Brandon Allen's going to come in and have the same rapport with T. Higgins. Um, talent should arise, but, I mean, is Brandon Allen going to have enough talent to get the, the ball to these guys? I think he's going to take the safety net in Boyd if I had to bet. Uh, more likely. And so, Johnny, like you're obviously rolling with the, the the Giants defense in this game. Yeah, I think they're one of my top streaming options for the week. Uh, this is going to be a nice game for them. All right. So we've got the New England Patriots in our next game hosting the Arizona Cardinals. This is a forty nine and a half point over under. You've got Arizona favored by two and a half here. Um, this is uh, going to be a, a good game. I think it's going to be a good test for both squads about where they're at um, in this in this uh, young or this maturing season, Johnny, I want to start with the running backs for Arizona because that's kind of been your forte. That's kind of been something that's been close to your heart this season. Yeah, I think that you can definitely start both of these guys in this game. New England, 14th best against opposing running backs, so not the greatest matchup. But what we saw at the end of last week's game against Buffalo is that um, you saw, or excuse me, not against Buffalo, against Seattle, uh, you saw Kyler Murray get a little bit banged up. As a result, what did you immediately see? You saw Kenyon Drake finally score a rushing touchdown, only a second on the the season and I think that that's what you're going to start to see a lot more moving forward because uh, we definitely need Kyler uh, being quarterback or else this team is going nowhere and then you look at Kenyon Drake and what he's been able to do this season uh, you know he gets a lot of hate but even in all uh, all the amongst all the hate he's still top 10 in rushing yards on the season with 641 yards number nine in rushing attempts with 146 uh, and and he missed a game uh, due to the the ankle injury so I think that he is a plug-and-play RB2 for you this week. I look for him to get between 16 and 18 touches, and I actually think that he can get in the goal line, uh, get the goal line carry again this this week and get a touchdown. 
Chase Edmonds, on the other hand, uh, you know, this, the carries significantly went down uh, when Drake came back on the field. Their snap care uh, snap shares are a little bit more 50-50 split. So uh, I do think that Chase Edmonds will see between seven and nine targets in this game, making him a, a, an okay flex play if you need him. Austin, DeAndre Hopkins probably belongs in your lineup for the rest of time, but you have your eye on Christian Kirk and the you know secondary weapons here within that passing attack. Yeah, I do. And it first needs to be said that the Arizona Cardinals don't really have a, a tight end in terms of involved in the offense. No tight end over the course of the season has had a greater snap percentage than 45% on the year. Um, and Dan Arnold has been involved the most. Last week, 41%, two targets, 48% snap share the week before that, four targets gone his way um, and you know his top yardage he, he, he get you know we're looking at four yards 34 yards 16 yards not a big impact player and I bring this up because we're talking about safety blankets and tight ends oftentimes are that safety blanket for their quarterback <clears throat> the tight end or excuse me the safety blanket on this team would be Larry Fitzgerald um, who catches you know 10 targets last week five targets five targets eight targets good amount of targets he's on the field 75 percent of the time or more but he hasn't broken 70 yards all season. He hasn't – actually, I'm looking at it. Last week was his season high in yards at 62 yards per – 62 yards on the game on eight catches, 10 targets. So Larry Fitzgerald is always there, but he's not making a lot of big plays happen. So Fitz, don't be concerned Fitz also, about Fitz was also diagnosed with COVID yesterday, so he won't be in this game. Oh, great point yeah. on there. Um so you really don't have to worry <laughs> yeah. about Christian Kirk or excuse me, <laughs> uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Christian Kirk is the player that you'd want to keep an eye on more and more. We know Christian Kirk's play style is one of speed. Athleticism can take the top off of the defense. It's just been about him being involved with the team. He had a slow start to the year and didn't have a ton of opportunities coming his way. I mean, the first three weeks combined, three total targets for him. Different story the last three weeks now where he's seen 22 targets come his way um, and has shown what a threat he really can be when they use him. 92% snap share last week, 75 the week before that. He is becoming more of a staple in this offense, and we've seen the production reflect that as well. Um, and I love the fact that Christian Kirk is going to be going up against undrafted cornerback J.C. Jackson, who also is ranked higher than uh Stephon Gilmore for the New England Patriots might be a sign of where the Patriots defense is at overall. But Christian Kirk is going to be guarded predominantly by an undrafted cornerback. Um, Christian Kirk has looked better and better each week. And going up against right now, the New England Patriots who rank 23 in pass defense, I'm feeling really good about this option. I want to talk a little bit about Kyler Murray, not that you're questioning to start him or not, but he actually has a shot here to have a better fantasy season uh, than Lamar Jackson did last year. And I don't I don't think people are realizing that through 11 games in 2019, Lamar had 19 passing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns, 275.4 fantasy points and about 0.83 points per drop back. You look at through 11 weeks in 2020, Kyler Murray, the same 19 uh, passing touchdowns, but 10 rushing touchdowns over uh, just about 20 points more than Lamar Jackson had uh, total on the season last year. So you really like what you're seeing out of Kyler Murray. He's got some tough matchups coming up. I mean, we've got the Rams, the Giants, and Philly on the stretch after this New England game, but I'd really like to see uh, what could happen here with Kyler and if he can kind of overtake as not only a fantasy MVP, but sneak into the 
actual MVP conversation. So that'll be interesting to watch. On the New England side of the ball, Johnny, um, I, I would just want to start with Cam Newton at the top of the offense here. Are, are you liking the signs of life we've been seeing out of Cam Newton? I do like the signs of life that I'm seeing out of Cam Newton, but I also really like the matchup that Cam Newton is seeing this week. He's getting Arizona, which is a top eight in points allowed to the quarterback position. You also look at their D-lines a little bit banged up. They do allow some rushing yards to be had. So we do know that Cam Newton likes to rush the ball. He's had five or more carries in all but one game this season. I look for that to co- to continue against Arizona. And he's had at least one rushing touchdown in all but three games this season. I look for that to continue as well. So uh, I think that Cam Newton is a very solid play this week. I don't know if you'll get one of those uh, you know ceiling games that we saw earlier in the in the season but I do think that if you need a streamable quarterback that could be on your waivers Cam Newton is your guy this week can you make any sense for us Austin of this running back situation because every week we're trying to find one that can get it done or maybe just avoid altogether what is your take especially with this matchup against Arizona I think it's actually pretty clear right now but this is going to change very very quickly as it always does in a Bill Belichick running back dynamic we had rex burkhead go down last week who had um in the last three weeks seen 22 carries and 11 targets question then is how will those carries and touches be distributed amongst the other running backs which they do have a handful of and damian harris james white and sony michelle who was activated off of the ir last week but was a healthy scratch so you'd expect to see burkhead's targets go mainly to James White, who hasn't scored a touchdown all season and only has 21 rushing attempts on the entire year. But he is that pass-catching option there for the New England Patriots, has been for a long time throughout the Tom Brady era, and still is right now here in this new-look Patriots team where he's seen nine targets last week, two the week before that, five before that, four the week before that, which doesn't feel like a ton, but considering Damian Harris, who has been hands down their best and most efficient running back this season, has only had uh, four targets all season long and hasn't had uh, he had two last week but hasn't had another one since week seven so Damian Harris is who you'd expect to be that lead dog moving forward given that since week five he's been the number 10 halfback on the season averaging 9.6 fantasy points per game and averaging 14.2 carries per game over the last five games also the number 36 elusive backs like Damian Harris does kind of look legit It's just, will those opportunities continue? And with Rex Burkhead's share vacated now, you'd expect to see some more of that go Damian Harris's way. You do have to pause, though, with the reality of Sony Michelle. He was inactive last week. I would be surprised if he was inactive again this week, given they are down Rex Burkhead. And Sony Michelle was the most efficient he has been all season in that game right before he went down. He took his nine rushing attempts for 117 yards and caught both targets for 23 additional yards. So while I'd expect to see Damian Harris get a bump up, Sony Michelle, the last time we saw him, looked pretty good. And Rex Burkhead's targets, though, are going to be distributed across the board. I'd feel pretty good about starting Damian Harris this week, given that the Arizona Cardinals do rank number 30 overall in rush defense. But just don't be surprised if Billatrex plays Billatrex and Sony Michelle ends up leading in all categories or James White does for some reason. But I'm personally starting Damian Harris this week, and I'm feeling all right about it. 
Yeah, I, w- I like the Damian Harris play this week. I think this is a, a, a decent over-under. He's going to have a shot to get in the end zone, and you you broke down the carries there for sure. Let's talk about the wide receivers a little bit, boys, before we jump to the next matchup. I do just want to hit in here on Jacoby Myers because he did have a bad game last week, went a little non-existent, three for three for 28 yards. He had previously four straight games of 55 or more receiving yards and 28 targets in three games prior to the game against Houston. So I think people want to know, is it going to be all right to trust Jacoby? Do we trust the you know chasing of the points with Demir Bird? I am going with Jacoby Myers, if anyone out of this pass-catching group, and that's because he's going to get Byron Murphy, who's been giving up 1.42 yards per route run to slot receivers. You've got AZ being a top 10 matchup against wide receiving wide receivers, giving up the 11th most receiving yards this season and the third most receiving touchdowns with 13 in 2020. I think you can be confident in Jacoby Myers, and I wouldn't really want to touch anyone else uh, with the pass catchers. Moving on to our next game on the slate, we have the New York Jets hosting the Miami Dolphins. This is a 44 44- I think I did this last time, too. There's a 44.5 point over under, and Miami is favored by seven. Uh, so when we start with the Miami Dolphins, um, Johnny, we've got to look at the pass catchers first, and I think it's Devontae Parker for you, and, and it should be Devontae Parker for Whisper, Whisper Nation. Yeah, he's the only guy I'm in, interested here. Listen, we can go back to last week, and we all remember the major game uh, and monster targets that Keenan Allen saw. Well, Fast forward to this week, Devontae Parker now gets the same corner, same team. They're giving up fifth most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. Then you look at Devontae Parker, hasn't seen less than seven targets since Tua took over as the quarterback. Uh, expect Lamar Jackson, uh, not the quarterback or the running back, but uh, the cornerback for the uh, New York Jets to be playing against uh, Devontae Parker, who has given up 0.47 fantasy points per route ran, uh, which is super juicy, one of the highest in the league. And uh, so I'm definitely starting Devontae Parker. I'm not interested in Jakeem Grant uh, or or anybody else uh, in this game because of the the high bust potential. Uh, but Parker, though, I think is pretty safe play. Uh, Austin, I'm going to ask you again. Call on you. Put your running back hat on here uh, for this backfield. We've got Salvan Ahmed. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, how, how do you feel about him? He's he's been getting that bell cow usage. He has been, and I'm looking at an update right now that says Ahmed is going to be out this week. Um, he Man. is out with a shoulder issue, so I was trying to get briefed up on that because Salvin Ahmed has looked pretty good over the stretch he's had since Gaskins has gone down and placed on the IR. There was no real competition behind him, and 74 yards or more the last two weeks for Ahmed, um, 12 carries and six targets in Week 10. You'd love to see that. The number 12 running back over the last two weeks, averaging 11.2 points right behind Aaron Jones. And the Jets have given up the 13th most amount of fantasy points to running backs, but ranked still pretty good at the number five overall. He has had a shoulder issue, though, which is now keeping him out of this game. That is breaking news happening right now, middle of this recording. So then the question comes, Matt Breda is still technically active for them. He's a real deep halfback or excuse me a real deep handcuff option i know matt breda had a some truthers coming out during the draft but he hasn't had more than he hasn't had double digit rushing attempts all season long um you got to go back to week two to find more than four yards per carry and in week 11 last week he had two attempts for four yards so 
keep an eye on Gaskins. He was activated. We could see him coming back in. Um, but it's a real messy halfback situation this week now with the new Ahmed news. Yeah, so that kind of makes me think, Austin, and Johnny, weigh in if you'd like as well. Like if we talked about Devontae Parker being a great, like maybe this is how Miami's going to have to move the ball now uh, through the air. So does that make Mike Kosicki somebody on our radar here? We know we keep trying to make it happen, and it doesn't. That seems to be the story for all tight ends. But, Austin, how are you feeling about Kosicki here? You know, I feel actually really good about Kosicki. I've talked and kind of besmirched the tight end position um, this season long as there hasn't been a ton of separation between the whole tight end field, unless you're Travis Kelsey. But Kaseki is an interesting choice for me because while he is right there in the middle of the whole tight end smorgasbord, he stands out in, in, in strong contrast to other options like Logan Thomas or Dalton Schultz, who are on the field for 90 plus percent of the snaps, but still just getting like 40 yards. Mike Kaseki is somebody who's not really on the field more than half the time. He's got like a 50% snap share percentage, and I don't think that's going to change, but he's still raking in similar production. You know, uh, 43 yards, 40 yards, 42 yards the last three, three weeks hasn't had a touchdown. So if you factor in a touchdown there, you're feeling good about that. And if his snap share percentage goes up at all, that could elevate him into another tier because he's currently right kind of in the muck there of all the other tight ends, but is only, you know, on the field half the time. So I like the upside that someone like a Mike Kosecki provides, given that his floor is still what it's looked like from the other tight ends, but his ceiling is so much higher. I just want to say that you might be scared off of uh, streaming to a Tagovailoa this week, you know, based on the fact that he's had back-to-back games under 20 fantasy points. He's only scored uh, more than 20 in one of his four starts. He's going to get the Jets, though, this week, and I think there's hope for streaming to a 21.6 fantasy points per game given up to quarterbacks. Only four teams have given up more passing touchdowns than the Jets, and they allow on average 295 yards per game. So if he can roll out of bed with 295 yards, similar to Austin's point on Gasecki and Johnny's point on Parker, that should mean good things for Tua, and I think you can feel good about Tua somewhat this week when we move to the jets johnny uh you put this on the the note the show notes for frank gore and i almost puked a little and it's not just because I, I had too much to drink on thanksgiving yeah it's not the greatest start ever um but look miami is susceptible to the run 10 fantasy points allowed to running backs opposing running backs and frank gore he just doesn't go away he's the only one left there after the p ryan uh, ankle injury. He got 17 targets last week once he did go down, uh, and Miami giving up the seventh, second most explosive run plays. So I do think if you are in a, a pinch and a bind uh, and you need a running back this week, Frank Gore is probably most likely on your waiver wire, and you can plug and play him this week. want to talk a little bit about the wide receivers uh, for the Jets. You know, you look at Denzel Mims finally getting activated in this uh, lineup a little bit. He's had seven or more targets in three of his last four games, 60 or more receiving yards in back-to-back games. But I'm fading Denzel Mims here. He's going to get a heavy dose of Xavier Howard. And I actually think what we've seen out of Brashad Perriman from, you know, Joe Flacco to Perriman makes Perriman the start of these wide receivers. He's got three touchdowns over his last two games, over 50 yards in each game since returning from injury. Byron Jones is lock, uh, probably locked up with with Perriman, but he's given up 1.2 yards per route run to wide receivers. And we've seen Flacco make deep play wide receivers relevant um, consistently over his years, not only just here, but in Baltimore. 
Um, and then so the question remains, like Crowder, where where is Jamison Crowder? He hasn't seen over four targets in two weeks um, back from his injury, hasn't eclipsed 30 receiving yards since coming back. Um, and like I just said, I think Flacco seems to not have eyes for Crowder. Like he just isn't looking for him in the same capacity that Sam Darnold had been. Um, and, and Austin, just really quickly, like are you getting lulled into streaming anybody else here for the Jets? You know, I thought about it for a second with Joe Flacco is his last two performances have been for over 200 yards. and He's had multiple touchdowns in both of those weeks, giving you fantasy outputs of 26.4 points per game and 18 and 18.4 points. But going up against an above average defense in the Miami Dolphins, I'm not feeling good about Joe Flacco and that other streamable option down there. And Chris Herndon, who was for some folks a preseason darling looking like he could break out this year. He has done none of that. Um, last week, just for a little bit of context, he put up 10.2 points in his previous nine games combined. He had 13.1 points combined. So he's got like 23.3 points on the entire season where he got nearly half of those last week. He's the number 63 tight end overall. And that's just me like, how is that even possible? There's 32 starting tight ends. He's the number 63. I know a lot of teams play multiple tight ends. You have to, but like talking to the point earlier, Mike Kosecki, Chris Herndon is on the field all the time. 80 plus percent snap share percentage, but 23 and change points on the entire season and if you needed any reason not to start him Miami's pretty good against the tight ends they've given up the ninth fewest fantasy points to that position overall our next game should be a pretty good one the Atlanta Falcons are hosting the Las Vegas Raiders it's a 55 point over under this is the highest over under I believe on the slate and we've got the Las Vegas Raiders favored by three on the road Johnny um, with this high over under it has to start with Carr are we going to trust David Carr or Derek Carr in this matchup I mean, I'm staying in the flames with Derek Carr. He's been looking good over the last few weeks, and then he gets this matchup. Number one in fantasy points allowed to opposing cornerbacks is Atlanta. Atlanta is known for a pass funnel team, and they give up the second most explosive plays uh, thrown down the field. So all of those things, uh, and, and you look at where Derek Carr's been over the last few weeks, uh, I, I think he's a fine streaming play this week against Atlanta. And let me add on to Johnny's points here about Derek Carr. His issue right now just comes from opportunity and going deep, letting it loose. Because when he does go deep and plays for it, he is very efficient. He's the number three quarterback in terms of QBR quarterback ranking on deep attempts behind just Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers right ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Except he's number 18 in deep ball attempts. So he's got the number three ranking when he does go deep, but he's number 18 in attempts. He just doesn't try it that often. And he's the number seven ranked quarterback by pro football focus and the number five quarterback overall in QBR, despite being the number 20 quarterback from the fantasy football perspective. So he's a lot better for actual football than he has been for fantasy football. But if you see his opportunity, just crank up a little bit, throw the ball a few more times a game and let it loose a couple times to maybe Henry Ruggs, you know, one of your big play wide receivers who really hasn't had a lot of opportunities. But I think there's room to believe that if he did try, it would go the direction the Raiders would hope to see it. Well, you started talking about Ruggs there, so maybe just feel feel out that wide receiving passing core. I mean, obviously we know we're starting Darren Waller. He is one of the elite usage tight ends that we have in this game. But anything there with the wide receivers. I can't imagine we're wanting to trust any of them, but this matchup against Atlanta, really juicy. 
Now, Nelson Aguilar would be the receiver to give the most consideration to, but he hasn't had enough of a consistent output for me to really feel good about him. Um, You know, week 11, uh, he had uh, nine targets, but going back, you look at four targets, three targets, two targets. He is the top option, but he's just not that reliable. Henry Ruggs is the most exciting wide receiver for me, given his play style. We know what he can do with a single pass, but he hasn't had four catches all season long. He's got one touchdown on the season, and I'm going to need to see some more consistency from the pass game and Ruggs' particular role in the passing attack before I have any confidence in rolling him out. But there is a ton of upside. You just got to see it start to happen, which it hasn't yet. And I don't think it will, given Josh Jacobs' role in, in the way they run this Raiders team. I think the consistency that you're seeking out of that pass, the pass catchers really only belongs to Josh Jacobs on this team. I mean, that guy is a top five running back. He's the RB4 in standard, RB5 in PPR. He's top five in touches per game, rushing yards on the season, and running back attempts on the season as well. I do just want to note this is going to be, you know, a test for him because Atlanta's been a quite the pass funnel and they've been the fifth best de- defense against running backs only allowing 15.3 points per game and less than 70 yards per game on average to enemy running backs. So you should temper expectations but obviously you are starting uh Josh Jacobs. On the Atlanta side of the football, um if we're not concerned with Josh Jacobs, are we concerned with Todd Gurley, Johnny? Yeah, we definitely are. Uh, just got another notification saying that uh, Todd Gurley remains sideline on Friday's practice. Not good news at all. He will definitely need to practice at some capacity on Saturday in order to be uh, available for Sunday. So if he is not in on this game, you definitely want to go and make sure you pick up Brian Hill. Make sure he's rostered in all your fantasy uh, leagues because he's looked pretty decent in the limited amount of action we've seen without Todd Gurley. Um, But if Todd Gurley does play, I would expect for him to be an RB2 uh, with some RB1 upside because he does see a lot of the goal line carries. Um, Prior to last week, his lowest total touch was 16. Um, But the vast majority of his carries have been between the 19 and 23 range. So it does seem that this could be kind of serious. Uh, There's not been a whole lot of info on it, but Raiders giving up the fifth most fantasy points to opposing running backs. So I would start Brian Hill or Todd Gurley if one of whoever's healthy, I'm starting. Yeah, we can see a situation where they get it done there, but I was also looking at this as a, a po- possibility through the air, and I actually know that Matt Ryan's a scary start after going 19 of 37 for 232 and only two interceptions, no touchdowns last week. But New Orleans defense, you know, that that's who we played last week. They've been heating up, and I actually think that Las Vegas is, an, is a much better matchup for Matt Ryan. They're the eighth-best matchup on paper, allowing 19.8 points per game and I really do think with this high over under you could be smashing Matt Ryan as a, as a really nice streamer this week but Austin it will have to depend on the the you know availability of his wide receivers and how you're feeling about that pa- those pass catchers seriously we've got two elite options here in Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley both of which are pretty banged up um, Julio Jones was absent from practice due to his hamstring issue this has been lingering with him for quite some time And Calvin Ridley clocked in another limited practice yesterday. Those limited practices almost make me more concerned than a, hey, he's out this week trying to get right for the following week. It seems like Julio and Calvin are both looking to tough it out, which makes you really nervous from a fantasy perspective. Their ceilings get lowered. They're banged up. 
Um, they also have a lot of other wide receiving options there in uh, Olamide and Russet Gage and Hayden Hurst. And it's, it's not a far-fetched idea that Julio Jones and Calvin really just end up getting limited. You know, you take Julio Jones, who should be on the field for 99% of the time, who was on the field for just 36% of the snaps last week, gets an active designation and then just doesn't play that often. So if they're in, I'd be real hell-bent to not start them, especially how elite those two options are. But you need to temper your expectations and even consider some alternative paths if your roster is fortunate enough to have someone who could compete with a Julio Jones or a Calvin Ridley because they're not going to be themselves this week. All right, our next game on the slate is the Denver Broncos hosting the New Orleans Saints. This is a 44-point over-under. We've got New Orleans favored by 5.5 on the road. Johnny, when we look at this, I, uh, the Saints side of the ball, I wanted to start with you and Michael Thomas because we look at Michael Thomas being kind of up and down. He's never been that kind of guy for us, but obviously the injuries, the Taysom Hill situation, the Drew Brees situation. How are you feeling? Where's your confidence level in Michael Thomas? I wasn't very confident in him last week, but after what I saw on tape and what I um, watched, the chemistry between uh, you know him and his quarterback, it actually looked to be pretty pretty solid. So uh, listen, I know the matchup on paper isn't the greatest. Uh, Denver giving up the 14th fewest points to opposing wide receivers, 11th in uh, 11th fewest in explosive plays, and that's kind of where Michael Thomas kind of makes his heyday. But the tar- the amount of targets that he should see it would make him a wide receiver too. And of course he's got the talent to get that upside. Uh, but he out targeted Emmanuel Sanders 12 to five last week. He saw 52% of the team's targets and Bryce Callahan uh, is um, been, is the guy that will be against him this week uh, guarding him. And he's actually been better than Ramsey as far as like a statistical uh, points per route run uh, given up standpoint. But you're still going to start Michael Thomas. I would bench Emmanuel Sanders this week, though, who sees a lot of who should see a lot of A.J. Boye, who's been a very solid corner. And that paired with, you know, the quarterback play in Taysom Hill has me sitting uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Austin, we, I mean, Johnny just alluded to Taysom Hill here, but he's been pretty impressive. And are we thinking about him as a streamer here against Denver? I do like this matchup the Denver defense presents to Taysom Hill. Denver Broncos have had a sneaky good defense most of the season and coming in right now as well, um, where they've let up the 14th fewest amount of points to quarterbacks. So, you know, kind of in the middle there, a little bit above average. But what's encouraging to me is they've let up the 21 most amount of passing yards. So they're decent from a pass defense perspective. PFF has them ranked as the number two overall pass defending defense in the NFL, but they let up the 11th most amount of rushing yards to quarterbacks. So if you're going to find a weakness in the Denver defense, from the quarterback perspective specifically, it would be from quarterbacks who can rush the ball and Taysom Hill falls right into that category where last week he had 49 rushing yards and two touchdowns to go along with his 233 passing yards. He showed us 18 completions on 23 attempts, showing us he can get it done throwing the ball Taysom Hill. Uh, But we know that it's his rushing ability that really gives him an edge and pairing that up against the Denver defense, which these stats I'm relaying would suggest that they are most susceptible to quarterbacks who can rush. This would factor in really nicely for Denver, and I've got him started in a league. 
I want to talk a little bit about Alvin Kamara here because I know there's some panic going around fantasy football Twitter. I mean, prior to Taysom Hill getting the start, Alvin Kamara hadn't had a single game in which he only, you know, in which he didn't have a catch. And so we had that happen last week where he hasn't caught a football there with Taysom Hill in the Taysom Hill era. Um, He had eight or more targets in four of his last five prior to last week. So, you know, you might be a little bit concerned here. We'll see if the the Taysom Hill show continues to limit Kamara's ceiling. But this is a get-right game. Denver allowing the 12th most rushing yards to running backs this season. Denver has also given up eight total running back scores this year. So although I think Alvin Kamara gets the bulk of that and is going to do the most with the touches... Latavius Murray kind of finds himself a little bit on the flex radar this week just based on Denver's matchup alone. So um, did get 12 carries last week, has double-digit carries in three of his last five games. So you're there, you know, desperate, desperate, desperate times call for desperate measures, and this is a matchup that you can maybe uh, seek out here. Did just want to touch on Jared Cook. I know that that's a popular start because of the name, but he hasn't had more than two or, uh, catches or 30 yards in three straight weeks, and as bad as tight end has been, I think you can look elsewhere um, off of Jared Cook. On the Denver side of the football, Austin, I want to start with you here. Uh, break us down with the running back position because this Saints defense has been really stout up front. No, they really have been um, ranked as the number two rush defense. The Saints defense is, um, and they've given up the fewest points to running backs. So the Saints defense is elite in defending the run. But you've got a couple of running backs to consider in Denver between Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. And while Philip Lindsay last week against Miami had a really good performance, 16 attempts, 82 rush yards, 5.1 yards per carry. Melvin Gordon did even better. 84 yards on 15 carries, 5.6 yards per carry, and he was that goal line back collecting two touchdowns. Philip Lindsay had this perception of being a pass-catching specialist, I think probably because he's a little bit undersized, but he doesn't catch passes, actually. That's, that's not what his game is about, where he's only seen a total of eight targets all season long, um, and he hadn't didn't have any targets last week. You shouldn't bank on any targets coming Philip Lindsay's way, which would make Melvin Gordon the halfback to start, given he's been more efficient as of late. Uh, he's been catching more passes, and he looks to be the goal line back for the Denver Broncos. And Melvin Gordon's deeper anal- analysis looks pretty good as well. It's not just what he's done with the opportunity, but he's the number nine elusive back from pro football focus. Um, he's looked good. His numbers are all right. He's involved all over the offense. I think Philip Lindsay is going to be more of the spell to Melvin Gordon, a really good speller. Um, who always overperforms his expectations. But Melvin Gordon is the back right now. Temper expectations this week, though, because of how stout and elite the Saints' rush defense is. Johnny, when we look at the pass catchers here, are you confident in any of these guys? Once again, I mean, a, a tough matchup for Denver here with Locke playing so bad as of late. The only guy I'm confident in playing, and it's not even a a high level of confidence, it would be Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick has been a wide receiver, too, in almost every single game so far this year that he's played. And, um, you know, the quarterback situation doesn't give you a lot of excitement. But New Orleans giving up the 12th most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. So you like that. And, you know, a lot of people might think, well, then I should be starting Jerry Judy, shouldn't I? And, you know, Jerry Judy leads the team in 77 targets. But the problem is, is he's only caught 37 of them. And that's one because he's having a lot of issues with Drew Locke delivering the the ball accurately. Some of that is he's had a case of the drop. So he's also dealing with an ankle issue, which makes me believe that you should leave him on. 
on the bench this week. The only wide receiver I'd start is Tim Patrick. I think I'm going to boost a little bit of confidence here for Whisper Nation and Noah Fant. Like he's seen four straight games with 75 or more percentage of the snaps. I know he's been nursing some injuries, but he's had 55 yards. Uh, was his his highest mark on the season um, or in the last six games that he's played, I'm sorry, was last week. So I actually think there's something there. And we talk about how tough New Orleans is, but I think they're a little susceptible against the tight end. 8.6 fantasy points per game given up to tight ends. So I really like um, Noah Fant this week, and I think you can start him with a little bit of confidence in this one. Our next game on the slate is the Los Angeles Rams and New SoFi Stadium. They're hosting the San Francisco 49ers. This is a 46-point over-under. The Los Angeles Rams uh, favored at home by seven points. Um, Johnny, when we look at Jordan Reed here, that was the, the highlight you wanted to talk about a little bit because that may be the one situation on this roster where you have a little bit of confidence. Yeah, basically, he's the only guy I have confidence on this roster uh, when it's coming from the pass catcher situation. L.A. Rams giving up the 13th most uh, points allowed to the tight end position. Or, sorry, they are bottom 13 in points allowed to the tight end position. But what what have we seen through the 49ers? If, if they want to steady uh, this offense and move it, they use the tight end position. Jordan Reed saw an increase in snaps the last two weeks, 24% and then 44%. I could see them using him heavily in this game. Uh, to move the ball, I I, w- I don't love the play, but if you in a tight end barren system, we've talked about it a million times on this show. Uh, Jordan Reed, you could find a lot worse. Austin, do you can you make a case for any of the other pass catchers in the wide receiving core? I mean, we've got COVID banged up, uh, rotating door of guys here, rotating door of quarterback. There's not a single clear option right now this week for the San Francisco pass catchers. Um, tight end wide receiver included uh, with the wide receiver specifically Brandon Ayuk would be my recommended start if he does play he's on the COVID list but he could test positive before game time so you need to keep an eye on him given the last three weeks he's collected 31 targets and output 14 19 and 16 fantasy points during that time and you watch the way Brandon Ayuk just plays football he's so electric so exciting can make a lot against even difficult defenses because he can jump over them he'll do interesting ways to make plays happen for his team and your fantasy team so I'm feeling good about him but that to me would really be the only wide receiver Debo Samuel could return this would be a desperation start for me at best he's got eight targets and 66 yards both as season highs pretty low ceiling over there as well as with the rest of the options Kendrick Bourne 15 targets last two weeks he's had 53 yards per game but only one touchdown on the entire season and then Richie James we saw him go off a few weeks back after 184 yards against the Packers but 26 yards followed that performance and I think you'll see him relegated to his special teams role making him a real non-start non-consideration this week and also the Rams give up the second fewest fantasy points to wide receivers so not a bad idea to fade on any of these pass catchers given that tough defense yeah the Rams defense really been turning it on as of late and and really just kind of locking it down and they're looking really strong so I agree with that where they have been a little bit more susceptible has been on the ground even though they've been good against the run too but the whole thing here is Raheem Mostert's status like as as of this recording right now he's not activated yet but we are saying we are hearing reports that it's likely he will be activated Um, if he does go 
I'm he's a flex and maybe an RB two really. He scored double digit PPR points in three of his four games played this year. When he's in, he just looks like the best back on the field. Um, so I would definitely be starting Mostert if he goes. If Mostert doesn't go, that's the only scenario I'd be starting McKinnon um, because in the games with Mostert, he's had three and eight touches in the last two games with Mostert back. So for me, McKinnon needs to be faded if Mostert's in the lineup, which is looking likely at this point. Um, when we look at the Los Angeles Rams side of the ball, um, Johnny, are you comfortable with any of these running backs? Because really, we've now seen the full-blown running back committee here. Yeah, I'm not starting any of them. I'm not confident in any play. Not Daryl Henderson, not Cam Akers, not Malcolm Brown. San Francisco is seventh best against the run, giving up just 15.8 fantasy points per game. And then you look at all these, like the breakdown as far as uh, target percent or, or snap percentage. You got Daryl Henderson playing 45%, which is the most. That's That seems nice, but the problem is the max he's getting is about 12 touches per game on the on the high end, usually around 10. And then Malcolm Brown, he's in there for 37% of snaps, but he generally gets about three to four targets. And then Cam Akers seems to be the hot hand guy. Uh, if, if he gets going, then they, they end up riding him a little bit more and you see an effect of carries being diminished from Daryl Henderson. Anderson, but yet Cam Akers only playing on 18% of snaps. Uh, so this is a straight up RBBC. They go with the hot hand. You can't tell who it's going to be uh, until it's in the game and uh, it's not a great matchup. So I'm fading all of these guys. Yeah. Austin, really the way the Rams move the football is through those two stud wide receivers. Yeah. Robert Woods and Cooper cup have both looked phenomenal. Um, course of the season as well as what have you done for me lately both perspectives looking good for those two Robert Woods in his last three weeks said 24 catches 248 yards and two touchdowns just last week he had 15 targets 12 catches 130 yards and a touchdown on that and that's number two coming into Cooper Cup right now who in that same stretch um, has had 305 yards 40 targets and last week was 13 targets, 11 grabs, 140 yards against a good Tampa Bay secondary. Um, Josh Reynolds would be the third wide receiver over there to consider. who has been on the field quite a bit at an 83% snap share the last three weeks. He's averaging 50 yards per game, but hasn't had a score yet. And he'd be a desperation start for me. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods feel really good about those ones, even going against a San Francisco secondary that clocks in as the number nine ranked pass defense. Yeah, I want to just add to the pass catchers that it starts and ends with those that, uh, you know, Austin mentioned there. But the, you know, Higby and Everett continue to be questions for people. Um, They've only had uh, Higby has only had three games over 50 yards all season. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, with more than 50 yards all season. He hasn't hit double digit PPR points outside of the three touchdown game against Philly. Um, And I think Gerald Everett, 35 or fewer yards in five straight. You can't start either of these. Uh, New Orleans is the only team that's allowed fewer yards to the tight end um, than San Francisco. So I, I would not be going there. And I think. Goff has to be faded as well. He's got one 20-point game uh, with over two touchdowns in his last five. He's going to face a San Francisco defense that just held him under 16 fantasy points and 200 passing yards a couple weeks ago. So for me, you can fade Goff. We're going to move on to maybe the best matchup on the slate here. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a 53. I'm sorry. Now it's a Vegas has the uh, line updated 55 and a half point over under uh, with Kansas City favored by three and a half. So we really like what we're going to see points wise here. Johnny, when I, when you wrote this on the on the show notes, I thought you might have been just uh, messing with me. You said though, time to bench Patrick Mahomes? Question <laughs> mark. Yeah, I, it was just more so being a joke. 
Don't overthink this. It's not the greatest matchup on paper. I get that. Tampa Bay, their defense has been pretty stout lately. They've been causing a lot of turnovers, but you're still going to uh, start Pat Mahomes. Just don't expect one of those ceiling games, maybe more of a floor to mid-range game, uh, but I don't think that they'll, you know, it'll be a blow-up game for Pat Mahomes. Austin, if we're looking at the wide receivers outside of Tyreek Hill, uh, is there anything here as far as pass catchers? We know it's Kelsey. We know it's Hill. Anything at all? We, we keep trying to make that happen, but is it all just too volatile? Worth noting that Sammy Watkins is good to go. Now, he will be returning after multi-week absences dealing with that hamstring and probably a couple of other issues as Sammy Watkins has always got a couple of things he's dealing with health-wise. But Sammy Watkins is back, and we've seen Sammy Watkins be that number two. Whether or not he gets a ton of opportunities from Patrick Mahomes, his snap share is the number two wide receiver opposite of Tyreek Hill, which is a blow to Demarcus Robinson or Mecole Hardman, who have been a pick one. You might get a really big game out of one or the other. Um, but even still, Demarcus Robinson, 69 yards is a season high. He had eight targets last week on six catches, but just 44 yards. And Nicole Hardman returning from COVID scare had a 21% snap share coming off a 68% snap share the week before that. My point with that being is that Robinson and Hardman are involved. It's it's hard to pick which one it's going to be. I've been off a couple times this year thinking it was going to be a Robinson game or a Hardman game, and it ended up being the other one. I think that's less now for either one, given that Sammy Watkins is going to be back um, and filling in opposite Tyreek Hill. The running back position is one that gives me a little bit of pause here. Obviously, CEH has been one that has, you know, he had some bad weeks coming into that Vegas game where he kind of turned it around. He had three straight weeks of eight or fewer carries. He had the bounce back game against Vegas last week, 14 for 69. Nice. And two scores. Um, But he's going to face one of the worst matchups there is in fantasy football. Tampa Bay only gives up 14.7 points per game to running back and 53 yards per game on average. Uh, that they've surrendered to enemy running back. So for me, CEH is going to have tough sledding. I understand that you're probably going to need to put him in your flex. You're probably going to need to start him based on running back situation. But just know that's, you know, you might want to shoot for upside in other areas of your lineup because of CEH being uh, in such a tough matchup. On the other side of the ball, we've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Johnny. And like, you know, similar to the Rams situation, uh, we've got something going on with this running backs that just has not been able to put our finger on which one to go with or if we can trust them. Yeah, I mean, for the longest time, it was Ronald Jones. We're saying get him in your lineup. But since week seven, Rojo has only seen a snap share percent above 44 percent one time. That is very much concerning. It looks to be like Leonard Fournette has uh, supplanted Rojo as the the running back here now Ronald Jones does still get the start he still gets first crack at things but when you're looking at snap shares and just total touches it seems to be in the favor of Leonard Fournette um, you know Leonard Fournette seeing a snap count uh, share at 52% at the all-time lowest over the last uh, few weeks since week five actually but he hasn't been able to do very much with a, a lot of those carries he's only had a high in yardage over that span of 52 yards so uh, you're not really liking either one of these plays. Kansas City is somewhat susceptible to uh, running backs, giving up 18.9 fantasy points per game. 
but I think this will be somewhat of a like a throwing show to, uh, shootout, or at least I hope it to be. So I don't know if you can really trust either one of these running backs. If I were to throw one in there, it would be Leonard Fournette because he does get the pass catching and he does get the goal line. Austin, because you've been such the wide receiver aficionado here, I'm going to have you break down these wide receivers here because we've got such great ones here, and it, sometimes we get in our heads about which one to start. Maybe it's a situation where we're just rolling them all out there. I don't think you can feel bad about starting any one of these wide receivers and Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, or Antonio Brown. They all play and bring different strengths to the table. When I broke it down a little bit more, we'll start with their number one from – Mike Evans, you know, the man who hasn't dipped below a thousand yards in a season since his rookie year was looking a little slower and quieter middle of the year here where he had that game against Green Bay week six and the next week against Las Vegas week seven, where he had four combined targets, three combined catches um, for 47 combined yards. People were starting to really slouch on him, but he's bounced back since then and hasn't dipped below six targets since week seven and has been producing pretty good fantasy football numbers for you. And last week we saw him fight for that touchdown against the Rams where he just seemed to drag the defenders. Maybe they need to work on tackling a little bit, or maybe we just give the credit to Mike Evans for getting in the end zone and bringing that six foot five frame all the way over the line. But you see Mike Evans there getting it done. And then uh, Chris Godwin's interesting one of being on the field more than any of the other players. 99% snap share last week, um, 90, 94% the last two weeks as well. Hasn't had less than six targets. I've been involved, but the funny thing is that A.J. Brown had the most targets of any wide receiver um, last week, and he's seen five-plus targets in the last three weeks. Antonio Brown does not look to have regressed physically. This will be his fourth game in a Tampa Bay uniform, and the man is going to pop off here eventually. Is it going to happen against Kansas City in the number 10-ranked overall pass defense? I can't make that guarantee, but I can tell you that given how much he's involved in the field and getting opportunities to jump ahead of any other pass catcher from a targets perspective. Antonio Brown is going to gas out for you. Um, but Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are all real good starts this week. And I think most weeks moving forward as well. I think Rob Gronkowski, similar to that bill, Austin is an auto start for fantasy GMs. He's six or more targets in five of his last seven. He's the tight end seven and standard and four touchdowns over his last six games. Look, I know on paper, and we're about to talk about this, that the Kansas City Chiefs have been a great matchup against passing attacks. You know, look, Kansas City's been number 10 against QBs. They've only allowed 17.1 fantasy points per game to QBs. You look at Brady, he's been struggling a little bit. Has 19 or fewer fantasy points in three of his last four. He's had two or more turnovers in two of his last three games. And he's only had one 300-yard game in his last four games. When we previously recorded this, I said you could bench Brady. I'm taking it back. Do not bench Brady. They're, the over-under's too good. The shootout's too good. It's Mahomes versus Brady. I would just not feel comfortable leaving Brady on my bench in this game. Um, I, I told you everything that's wrong about this matchup on paper, but it's just one of those things where it's like you have to go with your stud here, and I think Brady is getting a lot of flack in the media, and I think he's going to come out hot in this game. Our next game on the slate is the Sunday night football matchup in primetime. My Green Bay Packers are hosting the Chicago Bears in a 46 over under with Green Bay favored by seven at home. Before we get jumping into this matchup, if you're new to the channel, go ahead and hit subscribe, hit that like button and comment below any start sit questions you have for this particular matchup or any matchup. And we would love to get to those for you and have you join Whisper Nation. Austin, when we look at this 
Chicago Bears offense. We look at the pass catchers. We've got all these weird things going on with the quarterback position, the play calling, all of that. But how do you feel about Allen Robinson and the pass catchers over there in Chicago? Allen Robinson is an elite pass catcher who has just had to suffer through subpar quarterback play all season long. You go and look back through his stats. His opportunity rake is elite. He's on the field 90, 94, 97% of the time going back the last three weeks, nine targets, nine targets, seven targets going back the last several weeks. Um, His yards per catch looks really good. It's just about getting accurate quarterback play coming through him. He's been a fringe wide receiver one in fantasy um, wide receiver 15 in PPR formats. Um, and three games with Trubisky this year, uh, wide receiving wide receiver seven PPR finish with him last year. Um, expectations should be tempered, obviously, then for Allen Robinson. Um, he is a going up against what should be a really favorable defensive matchup here then against Kevin King. Um, we'll see about Jahir Alexander, but I think Allen Robinson, the way he's going to get matched up defensively and his overall physical ability, will keep your fingers crossed for some quarterback play from the Bears, but you're definitely going to start Allen Robinson in what should be a very favorable defensive matchup going against the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I wouldn't even extend starting anybody like Jimmy Graham even. Like, I think Jimmy Graham's a decent streamer option sometimes this year, like most tight ends. But like in this one, I, I just wouldn't feel comfortable with Mitch Trubisky getting the start there. Zero for two for yeah. Jimmy Graham last week. Just, low ceiling, not, low floor. Yeah, it's, it's just not something I want to be involved with. But, Johnny, you can give us some hope a little bit here for the running back position. Dave Montgomery getting back from concussion, and we know Green Bay gets gashed on the ground. Yeah, they they give up the third most fantasy points to opposing running backs, so you like that, and then you like that the that the Chicago Bears love giving the ball to David Montgomery. Now, whether or not he's effective or or uh, should be given that many touches in a game is uh, another debate for another day. But prior to his injury, he had he had never had a game with less than sixteen total touches. Five straight games uh, before the injury of 80-plus percent snap share. So he'll be on the field a lot in a plus-plus matchup. You got to love David Montgomery. You got to get him in your lineup this week. Let's move on to the Packers side of the ball here. And, Austin, I want to ask you about the wide receiving core there for the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, we know what we're doing with Devontae Adams, smash starting him in our lineups. But anybody outside of that, you know, the Bears have been really tough. Uh, on all levels of of this uh, uh, on their defense. No, they really have been giving up the third fewest points to wide receivers, that Bears defense. So expect Devontae Adams to receive heavy heavy coverage, but who cares? You're going to start Devontae Adams all the time, every time. The two real question marks pop up when you're dealing with Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Alan Lazard, who was active last week and had a 59% snap return. Disappointing output for Lazard, though, in just two catches on four targets for 18 yards. MVS has looked like who you'd hope to see MVS look like given his skill set. Last three weeks, 53 yards, 149 yards, 55 yards, three total touchdowns. He does that on very little opportunity. We know he can get you a 50-yard touchdown at any point in time, but we also know that the man has been making some boneheaded plays, dropping some should-bes. And I mean, just Travi, from a Packers fan perspective, I've got my Packers ball right here. I see that beautiful Adams jersey behind you. How disappointing and frustrating has MVS been for us all season long and in this last run particularly? Yeah, this this 
tweet didn't really age well, but earlier in the year I called MVS the Josh Allen of wide receivers. Um, Josh Allen's been a lot more consistent this year, but remember last year you'd be watching Josh Allen one week and say, oh, he's a world beater the next. He's he's a bonehead, and I think that's where MVS is at. Like He's going to have monster games, big plays, but the consistency is just not there, and now it's costing us football games. Uh, it's just not fun to watch. It's just not lack of consistency. He's losing the Packers football games, yeah. and it's like... It's frustrating. Johnny, how are we feeling about Aaron Jones, though? Um, you know, last week, not the greatest amount of touches. This week, he's going to get a, a really tough defense. Yeah, you're still going to start him. He did see 51% of snaps, which isn't ideal. It, it's more of a timeshare. Jamal Williams seeing 49% of snaps. But as far as carries, uh, Aaron Jones is still outpacing Jamal Williams 2-1. to one. So Aaron Jones would be the only play here. Chicago, ninth fewest fantasy points to opposing running back. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a difficult matchup. Temper your expe- expectations for Aaron Jones. Look, I think Aaron Rodgers facing the, the Chicago Bears is a little bit scary for people. Um, it's been a tough matchup, but he's only in he and him himself, like Aaron Rodgers had th- three turnovers in his last three weeks. Um, he had a tough NDD last game, but, it, you know, it was his lowest uh, output since the Tampa game. I'm really not concerned, though, about Aaron Rodgers. He continues to be that guy you're going to put in your lineup uh, because the, the ceiling's there every week. I mean, he could easily get into this game and start really ripping it against Chicago. Yeah, he's got a, a lower floor this week, but I think it's there for you. want to just talk about Robert Tunyon. I do think that he's back on the tight end one map. He did so last week, 5 of 5 for 44 and a touchdown. 74% of his snaps last week, that's what he played, and that's the most he's played all year. That's with Alan Lazard back. I had kind of alluded to I think that Alan Lazard being back was actually good for the snap share for Robert Tunyon. The team might run less 12 personnel, double tight end uh, situations where Rodgers could throw to a different tight end. I think this is going to put Tunyon on the field a lot more. He's going to face a Chicago defense that gives up the ninth most fantasy points per game to tight ends and the third most tight end touchdowns given up this year in Chicago. So I actually like Robert Tunyon. We're going to talk about the Monday night football game next. It's the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Seattle Seahawks in a 47 and a half point over under. We've got Seattle favored by five and a half. Before we jump into this game, make sure you subscribe if you're new to the channel and hit that like button and let us know in the comments below what your burning fantasy football questions are. And we'll try to get to those. We'd love to have you join Whisper Nation. We start with the Seattle side of the ball. There's been some Russell Wilson panic here, and I just want to highlight that he has five fumbles and four interceptions over his uh, last three games. He's coming off his lowest passing total against Arizona with 197 yards, and he has not scored more than 23 fantasy points in three straight. So, like, yes, I understand you like that kind of points, but for as far as the world beater situation that we had been getting out of Russell Wilson, that seems to be, you know, a little bit tempered lately. Philly's been pretty tight against the pass. They're fifth-ranked pass defensive efficiency, and they're only allowing 17.4 fantasy points per game on average to quarterbacks. Only the Bears have allowed fewer passing touchdowns to quarterbacks than the Eagles. Now, all that being said, you have to start Wilson. I just want to talk about that because I really want to set you up, Austin, here to talk about the wide receivers and how you think that Russ's decline has affected them. Yeah, it's going to be affecting their big two in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. but in slightly different intensities, DK Metcalf does more with less. He has a higher yards per route run, and he ranks as the number three overall standard wide receiver, but the number seven 
PPR. So he falls off a little bit when you go into PPR as we're Lockett's the opposite. Lockett's the number six overall wide receiver in standard, but the number four in PPR. So if you factor in his completions, he goes up. He has a lower yards per route run at 1.8 versus DK's 2.07. And and his floor is impacted um, as well. Lockett has a higher floor than DK Metcalf. He hasn't dipped below um, 4.9 fantasy points all season long as where DK Metcalf um, has had, he had 3.8 points against the Rams and 3.3 against Arizona when he only had two completions on both of those games. So DK Metcalf is more susceptible to having, you know, just two or three catches for you, but we all know what DK can do with any opportunity that you give him. We've all seen him chasing down Buda Baker. He is probably the fastest guy on the field, probably the f- biggest guy on the field too at six foot four. And, he just does so much with the ball, but he doesn't get as many opportunities as Tyler Lockett does. Um, so Tyler Lockett's going to be impacted a little bit less. And you'd like to see DK have a uh, return to what he was at the start of the year, considering the man's dip below 90 yards just three times all season long. And two of those three times were in the last two weeks when you alluded to Russell Wilson dipping down. So he had his week saved last week with that touchdown, but just 46 yards. Um, Tyler Lockett in the same stretch, he's had 18 targets um, and 132 yards and a touchdown in that same stretch. So Metcalf's going to have a a bigger impact from Russell sinking down, um, but he's still involved. They're both like 90 plus percent snap share all the time. You're never going to bench either one of them. You just really hope Wilson can get back to form. Johnny, can you paint me the picture for the running back core here for the Seattle Seahawks? Obviously, Chris Carson trying to get back. Carlos Hyde had a nice game against the Cardinals last week in, in his uh, replacement of Chris Carson. How do you feel about either of these guys, and what do you think about Carson facing a, a tough Philly defense? I, I It's going to be an, a more of an RB2 this week. Philadelphia is a little bit tough against the run. 12th fewest fantasy points, two opposing running backs. Uh, I but I do think that you know Carson or Hyde whoever gets in there is an RB two or flex play for you. Sixty eight percent of the snaps uh, Hyde saw last week after the injury. Seventeen total touches, uh, even with the other running back sprinkling in for a change of place. Uh, so I think that either one of these guys are options for you this week. Uh, if Carson if Carson is active, obviously you're not going to start Hyde. But if no active Carson, then just roll with Hyde. From Chris Carson to Carson Wentz and another panic situation. Carson Wentz leads the NFL in quarterback turnovers, 14 interceptions and four turnovers. I'm sorry, four fumbles. He's not eclipsed 16 fantasy points in fantasy. Uh, why would I do that? Uh, I'm sorry. He has not eclipsed 16 fantasy points in the three straight games. But, guys, he's got the second best matchup for quarterbacks in fantasy football right now. Uh, six most patch, passing touchdowns surrendered by Seattle. 415 more passing yards given up by Seattle than any other team in football. So there's probably not a more stressful streamer this week, but I think that you can stream Carson Wentz. I will die, I guess, on this sword, but uh, I think I, I have to play the matchup with Wentz. It's a primetime game. They need it just as bad as probably Seattle needs to probably get it done. I think it'll be a good game, and I think Wentz will show up for this one, or at least I'm hoping so. Austin, for the pass catchers, you know, specifically in the wide receiving room, how are you feeling if, if this is such a great matchup that we've talked about on paper? Can you be confident in any of those guys in that, in that pass catcher room? Before we jump into that, Travis, a little shout out there for your Wheel of Fortune before and after segue. Yeah. Chris yeah. Carson, Carson Wentz. 
Yeah. Elite so, brother. Well done. Love I that. Know, I need to get but, on there with Pat Sajak, I guess. There you go. The issue for the wide receivers is Carson Wentz. It should be, on paper, a great game for Jalen Rager and Travis Fulgham. Hell, it should be even a great game for Alshon Jeffrey. But I am not feeling confident about any of these options. Jalen Rager would be my number one if I had to pick. Travis Fulgham, number two, and Alshon Jeffrey, number three, in that order. But I got Fulgham on the bench, and I've really enjoyed watching him play football, though. I'm not starting him this week, though. Rager and Travis Fulgham deserve the majority of our conversation here, where both has seen 90 plus percent snap share um, as they've long as they've been healthy over this recent stretch of games after they kind of had their metamorphosis into the post Zach Ertz era, um, which he could be coming back. We'll talk about there, but it doesn't really seem to matter that much. Rager's had 90% snaps for the last two weeks and had 12 total targets, caught eight of those passes and averaging 49 yards per game. He'd be my recommended start. Fulgham has seen good opportunity, led the team in targets, 90 plus percent snap share, but that completion percentage is just awful. And that same two week stretch, two for 12, 16 yards, eight yards in each of the last two games. I know Seattle gives up the most points to wide receivers, but it's still got to be a completed pass from Carson Wentz. And that looks like it should be a lot more difficult right now than it should be. I want to give a vote of confidence as well, though, for Dallas Goddard. Um, I don't want to stop at the pass catchers just yet because I think he's had bat- now, right now. I think he's he's poised for a good game, having back to back games with six targets, 93 percent or more of the snaps. He paced the Eagles last week in targets, six catches, five and yards, 77. He also scored a touchdown. I know this isn't the best matchup. Uh, on paper, that's because a lot of people get it done with their wide receivers against Seattle. But I do think that uh, Dallas Goddard's a guy that can get it done uh, through the seams here uh, for Philadelphia. Johnny, bring us home here with Miles Sanders and where your confidence level is with him um, against this uh, Seattle defense. You're putting him in your lineup if you got him. He's an RB2, maybe not the RB1 upside this week that you would have hoped for. Seattle, actually, middle of the road. Uh, they are a pass funnel team, so they, they don't allow a lot of big games on the ground. But Miles Sanders, back-to-back games with 20-plus touches, so you're going to go with the volume here. Um, and and um, with that being said, you know, like, yeah, there could be Boston Scott or Jordan Howard sightings, a change of pa- pace. But other than, like, the random touchdowns that they score, they're not consistent at all, and they shouldn't concern you too much. So I wouldn't be putting them in your lineup uh, but Miles Sanders, I would be putting in your lineup this week. Well, that does it for us this week on the Week 12 Matchup Preview Show. If you guys are new to the channel, make sure you sit, hit subscribe and comment below. Follow us on all social media platforms. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, for Austin Sear, I am Big Travi, and we are the Fantasy Whispers, and we're out. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Whispers podcast. You can hear more from John and Travis on Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TF Whispers.